Um, we're going to have a little look at the story of Hagar in a few moments, but let me just give you an introduction to Unsung Heroes. As I said earlier, it's designed to introduce and to highlight characters that we might not have heard of or that we might have forgotten about. We might have heard of them before, but we've forgotten about them. But more importantly, they're characters that help us to see who God is. They help us to see that God loves us all. Whether we're great big personalities who have got lots to say, loud extroverts, or whether we're quieter, somebody that um, you know is a bit unassuming, whether we're leaders or whether we're followers, these unsung heroes are going to teach us um, about how if we're willing to surrender and continue to be all in, as that Colossians series taught us, that God works in us and through us according to his plan and his purpose. So we're beginning this morning with the story of Hagar. It's quite early on in the story of Abram and Sarai. So it's before Abraham became Abraham and Sarai became Sarah. Um, and we're having a look, picking up the story in Genesis chapter 16. We're going to read the whole chapter, which sounds like a lot, but we need the whole chapter to give us the sense of, of the story and what's happening. So if you want to follow it, it's in Genesis 16 but it's also on the screen, as usual. Hagar and Ishmael. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah ill-treated Hagar, and so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Okay. 
So our main point this morning is that the God, we have a God who sees us, the God who sees me. That's the main thing that we need to remember right from the beginning. I wonder if you ever felt invisible. Have you ever been in a situation, perhaps when you were younger or even as an older adult, like nobody would notice if you weren't there? You know, you've been in one of those situations that, where you feel like everyone else in this place is more important than me. Everyone else has more worth, greater purpose. They're just more noticeable as people. And I think this is probably how Hagar felt in this situation. And we're going to spend a little bit of time unpacking each of these characters in this story before we finally land on Hagar and we discover how God worked in her and through her according to his purpose. And that was despite others not always making it easy for Hagar. She discovered that even in some of the worst circumstances, we have a God who sees us, who knows us, and has called us according to his purpose to live for him. And whilst he promises us just one thing, and that's to be with us. So Sarai, to begin with. First of all, something that we need to know about Sarai is that she has heard God's promise. We sang in that last song to God, remember your promise, didn't we? As if we can tell God to remember his promise, but we can. We can ask him to do that. And she'd heard God's promise in Genesis 15. So just the chapter before, Abraham, or Abraham, sorry, had an amazing encounter with God. Um, and the, it says that the word of the Lord came to him. This man, that was his uh, servant, will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. We all know that you can't. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. That was God's promise to Abraham, but it was also God's promise to Sarai, and she would have known about that promise. I like to think that they had the sort of marriage where they actually told each other things, uh, where they actually explained things to one another, and especially something so big as a promise like that from God. So she knows. She knows what God has promised. He's promised descendants as many as the stars in the sky or the grains of sand on the beach even. You won't be able to count them. She knows that promise. However, I think she believes that God has broken the promise. That seems to be the, the, uh, the feeling that I'm getting here. I wonder what you believe about God's promise. I wonder whether you've seen God's promise in your life. I wonder whether you're waiting for something that you believe has God's promise. Or do you believe that God has broken his promise to you, as Sarah seemed to do? If you have a look at verse 2 in chapter 16 that we've just read, she says, the Lord has kept me from having children, as though it's God's fault that it hasn't happened yet. And I think sometimes we lose sight of pursuing God's promise and purpose in our lives. And it makes us want to go our own way and do our own thing. It makes us want to come up with our own solutions. She's lost sight of the fact that the original purpose for God's promise for them was actually to fulfill his promise of a whole nation. It wasn't just so that she could have a baby and feel better about the fact that she hadn't had a baby up till that point. It was so that God could create this amazing nation that would turn to him and that would follow him. So what does she do when she thinks that God has broken the promise? She takes matters into her own hands. Of course, we would never do this. 
If we thought that God hadn't fulfilled his promise to us yet, we would never rush ahead and do this, would we? We wouldn't have a tendency to take matters into our own hands. If you have another look at verse 2, Sarai says to Abram, go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. She's trying to create her own human solution to what she believes is a human problem. She wants a baby. Ultimately, that's what she wants. She can't conceive. But actually, there isn't really a problem to solve. Because God has made this promise that she's going to have a baby, and there are going to be descendants, and there is going to be a great nation. He hasn't broken that promise, just hasn't fulfilled it yet, and she needs to wait. There isn't a problem to solve. God knows that there isn't a problem. And when, we, when God promises us something, we need to wait for it to be fulfilled, because you can almost certainly guarantee that when you try and fulfill it for yourself, you're going to hurt people, probably yourself and probably others. It doesn't work out so well as we've read in this story. So I wonder, do you know God's promise for your life? Do you believe maybe that it's been broken? Are you still waiting for it? Have you tried to take matters into your own hands? So that's Sarai. We'll have a quick look at Abram before we move on to Hagar. So Abram again, you can guess what's coming first. He's heard God's promise, just the same as Sarai. So that same passage that I just read you, Genesis 15, 1 to 6, just before what we read in Genesis 16 about Hagar, the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside, said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So Abraham knew the promise as well. The promise that he was going to have all of these children, descendants, and that they would be this great nation. So Abram's heard God's promise. He knows it. But he's become what I've called the powerless hero. So he knows he's meant to be the hero of the story. Well, not really, but he probably thinks he's meant to be the hero of the story. But he's become powerless because nothing seems to be happening I'm not really sure how you go from knowing God's promise in one moment to the next moment agreeing to some daft human solution. But somehow this is what happens in this story. He becomes powerless. Verse 2 says, Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So she said, here we are. Here's Hagar. Have another wife. Have a go with her. See if it works this time. And he says, yeah, all right then. Yeah, all right then. But he knows God's promise. And Hagar was not part of that. He agreed to this human solution. And when God promises us something, we don't need to do that. We don't need to come up with our own human solutions. We don't need to um, find a way to make it happen for ourselves. During the manse purchase, there was one particular period of time, I can't remember exactly when it was, it was probably just before Christmas or January time. Dan's nodding at me, so I must be right. Um, we, we had a situation where we were constantly, he and I were constantly trying to come up with human solutions. What if we did this? What if we found this person? What if this money became available over here? What if we bought this house instead of that house? What if we did it this way instead of that way? And we were constantly having to say to each other, usually at the end of the day, as we were getting into bed, right, what's your human solution today? And we were confessing those human solutions to one another and repenting of them and saying sorry to God because actually they weren't his solution. 
They weren't God's solution. They weren't God's fulfillment of the promise. And that was an act of daily surrender. And I don't tell you that to show off or to say that, you know, we know we've got it sus because we re- that shows to you that we really haven't. We had those human solutions. We had that situation where we needed to, we wanted to see God's promise fulfilled. It wasn't happening. And we thought that we could fix it by coming up with our own human solutions. And we had to surrender those daily to God. But sometimes we can find ourselves allowing others to take control. And that's what happened in this situation. Sometimes we find ourselves swayed by the actions or the words of others. And those things pull us away from God's purpose and God's promise in our lives. I wonder, are you meant to be the hero of your own story? Are you meant to be someone who's taking responsibility for something, but you've shirked that responsibility? Are you someone who knows God's promise, but then you're not living like you know it? Are you someone who's allowing others to make decisions because they seem logical and easy, but they actually have nothing to do with God's will for your life, and you're not worrying about the consequence for others? Verse 6 tells us, that Abram really allowed Sarai to take control of this situation. He says to her, do with her whatever you think best. In other words, I don't care. I don't give a stuff. You can send her where you want. You can do what you want with her. She's his wife. She's his second wife, but she is his wife. And that wasn't unusual for men in that culture to take new wives, second wives, because the, the first wife wasn't able to conceive. It wasn't God's best but it wasn't unusual. But he didn't care. He said, it's up to you what you do with her. It's your responsibility. He'd given up. He wasn't concerned about Hagar, and he wasn't concerned about that unborn child. See, that's what can happen if we think that we can find our own solution. That's what can happen if we think that we can create something, make something happen, when actually what we need to do is just wait for God's promise to be fulfilled. Things can go very quickly out of whack, pear-shaped, as they say. So that was Abram. He's heard God's promise. He's become a bit of a powerless hero in his own story. He's allowed others to take control. So what about Hagar? Okay. So it describes Hagar as Sarai's slave, an Egyptian slave named Hagar. In actual fact, she was probably a little bit more like a servant. So she would have become part of the household. It's not really slavery in the same way that we know it today. Um, She would have been part of the household. But actually, that meant that they should have taken responsibility for her. They should have looked after her, cared for her, made sure that she was safe. And really... Hagar in this situation has no agency. She has no ability to control her own life. She's at the mercy of others, isn't she? People who make decisions for her and about her, whether they're good for her or not. I wonder where you are at the moment or who you are. What are your responsibilities? Where are you? Is it tough where you are at the moment? God sees it as he saw it with Hagar, and he knows it with you. She was also in foreign circumstances. She was Egyptian. Abram and Sarai weren't Egyptians. They'd picked her up along the way when they were in Egypt. But she was a servant to, um, to Sarai in foreign circumstances, 
possibly not speaking a language that they spoke, struggling to understand what her place was in that situation. But she was Sarai's right-hand woman. So that's something that's important to know, the difference between a servant and a slave. A slave was someone who was basically like a skiv, if you like, someone who just did all of the worst jobs and didn't get treated very well. But a servant, she was Sarai's right-hand woman. I wonder if you've got an accurate uh, perception of what your life is like right now. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about teenagers particularly, and this isn't aimed at any particular teenagers at all, so don't hear me wrong. But quite often, teenagers have uh, this ability to catastrophize their lives. It's terrible. Everything's awful. All these things are happening, and then you kind of whittle it down, and it turns to be one bad thing in amongst a load of really good stuff. But I think, actually, we're no better as adults. Sometimes we catastrophize our lives as well. I wonder if we have an accurate view of our circumstances, because although Hagar was in many ways powerless, she did have quite a lot of responsibility as Sarah's handmaiden, her right-hand woman. She was a member of the household, and they should have looked after her better, but she did have a certain amount of status. I wonder how often we look at our own circumstances and we only see what's difficult about them, or we only see what's sad about them. I want to remind us about gratitude. Remember, Stuart spoke about it last week. Colossians 4 verse 2 says to us, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And he also talked about how gratitude is linked to maturity. So instead of just looking around and seeing all these terrible things about our lives, actually, what are we doing? Looking at our lives, thinking about what's good and being thankful and having that mature attitude. So that was Hagar. She was a servant. She was in difficult circumstances. She was Sarai's right-hand woman, um, and they should have treated her better. So what about us? Well, a little bit like Hagar, we have a life <laughs> that sometimes finds us in circumstances that we never expected, with people that we never anticipated, doing things that we never had ambition for. I wonder if someone asked you when you were five years old what you wanted to do or where you wanted to live or who you wanted to be with, whether you'd have answered with the answers that describe your life right now. My suspicion is possibly, but also possibly not. Okay. So sometimes we feel like we have no choices in life, a little bit like Hagar. We find ourselves in a place of very little of our own agency. We can't make our own decisions. We can't make choices that directly impact our lives. So, for example, either someone else is making those choices for us or our life circumstances are dictating what we can and can't do. And that can be tough to live with, maybe in our relationships, maybe in our working life, maybe in our family circumstances or with our health. Sometimes we feel powerless and like we have no choices, like Hagar. And sometimes in those situations, when people make choices on our behalf, we can be hurt by that. Choices that make our lives harder or worse, directly harm or hurt us, can be tough. It says in verse 6 that Sarai ill-treated Hagar. A more literal translation of that is that she humbled her. In other words, she gave her a right good telling off. And we don't know whether that was a physical punishment or whether it was just a really big shouting at, whether there was some words 
that were, that were said that brought her down a peg or two, brought her as low as possible. I wonder if you've ever found yourself humbled, either by your circumstances or things that people have said to you. Like Hagar, you've been brought low or your status has been revoked. People have said, no, you're not that. Actually, you're just this. I want you to listen to the end of this story because there's hope. And in this moment, Hagar had a choice. Was she going to run away or was she going to remain where she was? I think we're often tempted, like I said earlier, to flee, aren't we? To run away. And sometimes it is the right thing to do. Sometimes it's the safe thing to do. But at other times, it isn't. Verse 6 said, so she fled from her. Hagar's trying to run away back home to Egypt. But then God comes to meet her. And God comes to meet us wherever we are, whether we run away or not, whether we pull the duvet over our heads on a Monday morning or not. Verse 7 says, the angel of the Lord found Hagar, as if she could hide, but you know, he found her. And he says to her in verse 9, go back to your mistress and submit to her. He's telling her that it was better to, for her to remain in that household that's caused her pain and suffering and difficulty than it is to go back home to Egypt. It's better for her to be in this place where Yahweh's purpose will be worked out than to be at home but far away from Yahweh's plan and purpose. That's a tough message to hear, isn't it? You know, if she goes back to Egypt, presumably she's got family. She's got friends. She's a young girl. She might be able to go back and just join in with life there. But actually, this angel of the Lord, God's angel, is telling her, you've got to stay this time. Sometimes God calls us to stay even when it's hard because that's the place where we're in his purpose. Sometimes he enables us to flee. The, the same word that it says um, in verse 6, so she fled from her, is the same word that the uh, Hebrew slaves, was used about the Hebrew slaves when they fled from the Egyptians in the Exodus. So sometimes God allows us to run away and to get away, but sometimes he calls us to stay. Verse 10 tells us that there was a plan for her. This is why she's got to go back. And this is very familiar. You listen to these words, I will increase your descendants. She, he says to her, I will increase your descendants. It sounds a lot like the promise that was given to Abraham, doesn't it? A lot like that promise. But the subtle difference is is that they, these descendants will not become God's nation. So although she's, he's going to increase her descendants, he's seen her circumstances. He's seen what's happened. He's going to give her what she needs, give her many descendants who presumably will look after her and will continue her name, but they're not going to become God's great nation. Sometimes we might look at the promises of others. Maybe Hagar looked at the promise to Abraham and wished that ours were identical. Sometimes we might look at other people's lives and think, I wish my life was like her life. I wish my life was like his life. But that isn't what God has promised to us. Just because it's similar doesn't mean it's going to be exactly the same as what God has promised to us. It doesn't mean that he's going to say exactly the same thing for us. I love verse 11. It says, the Lord has heard of your misery. God knew exactly how tough Hagar's life had become. And this angel was reassuring to her. 
The Lord has heard of your misery. God has a plan with this pregnancy. God knows about your circumstances. He knows about my circumstances. And he has a plan for us. He has a good plan for us, scripture tells us. He doesn't promise that if we stay, that life will be easy and rosy. There'll still always be tough things to go through. That's life, isn't it? But he does promise that he has a plan and a purpose for us. Verse 12 struck me. It says that this son of Hagar's, Ishmael, will live in hostility towards all of his brothers, and they'll live in hostility to him. It's not going to be an easy road. There's going to be strife. Despite the promise, it won't be an easy ride at all. There'll be tough things to go through, but you'll be in God's will, God's purpose. And so she returns and she decides to remain. Verse 15, it says, Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave him the name Ishmael to the son she had born. So she'd obviously gone home, otherwise Abram wouldn't have had the chance to name him. Um, and he named the son Ishmael. God doesn't promise to helicopter us out of situations, but he promises to parachute in to our situations. He promises to be with us in every circumstance. He says that he sees us, and that's what Hagar discovered about God. She said, I'm going to name you the God who sees me. Hagar is the first person in the Old Testament to give God a name. The first person in the Old Testament to do that. The God who sees me. That's what she called him. And our relationship with Jesus should see us grow in many ways as people. We should see the fruit, shouldn't we, of the Spirit as we allow God to form us and shape us. Experiences of life will often be maybe a little bit like Hagar, where people make decisions or where circumstances throw curveballs as they're called, at our life. Things happen that we didn't expect. But the story of Hagar shows us that sometimes, although there are those situations and circumstances that were never part of our plan, that actually God is with us in those situations, that God's called us to remain in those situations. He sees us. He knows us. He's with us. He's working his purpose out even when it doesn't look much like it. We're going to end with a human reaction to a God plan that looked like the worst idea in the world, but it turned out to be the best. I'm going to read you some words from the New Testament. I hope you recognize who said them. It says this. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father... If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this, this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. I think Jesus in that moment showed us what Hagar had also shown all those hundreds of years before. Whether you're gonna, if you're going to be the hero, whether you're unsung or not, we need to realize that there's a God who sees us. There's a God who knows our every circumstance and that he's with us every step of the way. Let's pray together.